Hello and welcome to the Blue Economy Podcast, presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. I'm your host, David Hirschman, and on this episode, we're talking about tiny underwater robots. Our guest today is Peter Baker, the subsea product manager at Australia-based Advanced Navigation. Peter talked to us about his company's Hydrus product, a high-tech autonomous subsea robot that's small enough to serve as a carry-on item on most airplanes. We're going to get we're just about to get into it, but first a friendly reminder to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Plus, you can learn more about the program and catch, catch up on past episodes on our website, which is at www.blueeconomypodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. And now let's get into our conversation with Peter Baker and Advanced Navigation. So welcome back to the Blue Economy Podcast, where we're joined by Peter Baker, the subsea product manager for Australia-based Advanced Navigation. Um, so first of all, we're taping this at 10 a.m. in Rhode Island. And Peter, you are in Australia. So first things first, thank you for staying up late with us. No problem, David. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, yeah. Very, very keen to have a chat. Cool. Um, well, so let's start with a little bit of background on Advanced Navigation, which was founded in Sydney back in 2012. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the company's mission and kind of what it does kind of broadly? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Advanced Navigation, I, I guess we're, we're a global company um, headquartered in Sydney, but we have uh, offices around the world. Um, we basically produce technology that is designed to um, really enhance and be the catalyst for the autonomous revolution that's that's going on at the moment. Um, so our, our core product range that uh, was developed when the company was founded uh, was developed by our co-founder, Xavier Orr, and it was a result of his university uh, research uh, where he was looking at navigation systems um, and algorithms for navigation um, and realised that, you know, traditional systems relied on things like the Kalman filter that have been around for a long time to fuse navigation data and his approach uh, was slightly different. He was using AI-based neural network technology uh, to really enhance uh, the algorithms and let the software do the heavy lifting on a lot of that kind of um, data fusion. Um, so he commercialized that technology and advanced navigation was born. Uh, since then, the company has grown and we now uh, work across different fields, uh, including drone uh, cloud uh, platforms and subsea positioning and now subsea robotics. Um, so our systems are in, in place all around the world in things like um, precision agriculture, robotics, self-driving cars, uh, that, that sort of thing. Cool. Uh, well, you've been in your role for just about a year now, but uh, before that, I understand you did a lot of work mapping oceans um, as a hydrographic surveyor, um, which I find super fascinating. Um, you know, it's really incredible how much is still unknown under the water. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your career kind of up until then and you know how does one get into that kind of surveying work yeah absolutely um i guess it's a little bit ironic that i started working offshore considering the fact i get horrendously seasick um but you know never mind that um yeah i i'm from new zealand originally and i i started off doing surveying and um got into acoustics and you know using that for underwater mapping purposes um so i ended up in australia um, and got into the research side of things and worked on various research vessels uh, in the Pacific and uh, the Indian Ocean around there, um, doing a lot of sort of geophysical mapping, um, route surveys, cable route, pipeline, that sort of thing. Um, and then as, as I sort of progressed through things, I got more into um, operating um, sonar systems and different geophysical systems uh, from robotic and unmanned platforms. So things like ROVs, 
and eventually um, autonomous underwater vehicles, the AUVs. Um, so using those for pipe route surveys, for uh, autonomous inspections of assets um, and for sort of uh, wide area reconnaissance mapping, a wide range of things. Cool. Well, so Hydrus is uh, Advanced Navigation's autonomous subsea robot product. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what Hydrus is and I guess how it was developed? Yeah, so I guess um, at Advanced Navigation, we've been working on our sonar and acoustic positioning systems for over 10 years, um, as well as our um, initial navigation systems. So Hydrus is really a product that is a result of us working in this underwater navigation positioning system uh, area, as well as the uh, like navigation and positioning systems that go into aerial unmanned platforms as well. Um, so it's kind of this convergence of that technology. Um, we've seen sort of a hole in the market here um, in terms of underwater data collection. We know there's a lot of people out there who want to capture this data and use it uh, who are unable to, you know. And where we sit uh, with the company, we've seen a lot of like change that's happened in the last 10 to 15 years in the aerial drone market. Uh, so 10, 15 years ago, you know, drone users were kind of these highly specialised people using very, you know, complicated, expensive machinery. Um, but now you look at the drone market and uh, they're super yeah. easy to use. And, I mean, you know, we, we have people who are um, now using drones every day for commercial purposes uh, that would never have dreamed of, you know, all those years ago. Um, and we've kind of seen the same thing in the underwater market. So you have your classic kind of remotely operated vehicles that require pilots and, you know, Lots of launch and recovery machinery to put over the boats, uh, over the side, and um, you know, highly skilled uh, mechanics to maintain them and everything. Uh, and then you have your autonomous vehicles that are sort of torpedo style, they go on long linear kind of missions, they carry very large payloads, um, but they don't have necessarily that fine kind of control of the vehicle for uh, working in complex environments. Um, so what we've seen is, you know, that that all in the market there. Um, but really, the technology has progressed to a point now where we think, you know, um, we're able to take the best of both worlds and produce something like Hydrus that has this very, very high level navigation system, um, you know, AI based payloads as well uh, in a small package um, that we produce, you know, everything in a, a sort of vertical manufacturing style. So we can bring the price point uh, down to something that makes it more accessible to a much wider range of users uh, and makes it simple enough that you don't need, you don't need to be a highly skilled you know, specialist to actually operate it. Well, who do you think would be kind of the most likely users? I know, I know there's all kinds of different use cases from people like kind of looking for a sunken treasure to, you know, people surveying things or whatever. Like, like who, who is it sort of marketed to? Yeah, I think uh, it's, a, it's a unique product in that it has it has a very very wide range of applications. Um, the applications that we have working on it are uh, working uh, in the field at the moment where it's deployed. Um, initially, uh, people are doing reef monitoring and research. So there's uh, there's a lot of people in the research community um, who would like to capture a lot more data, whether that's like at a higher frequency or whether that's just capturing it at all. Um, who currently aren't able to. Uh, just due to like, cost and hiring large vessels and that sort of thing. Um, so we're, we're looking a lot at the research uh, market and we have deployed in a few different locations, things like environmental surveys of um, seabeds, reef mapping, and monitoring, um, and a, a few other applications like that. And then in the commercial side of things, uh, we also have people who want to do things very rapidly and quickly. Um, 
So an example of that might be a shipping channel where there's been a hurricane or a storm come through and you need to very quickly just deploy something to go and check that the channel's clear. Um, with a very small light unit like that, you can take a small and uh, easily accessible boat out. Um, or we're looking at things like the renewable space as well. So um, as, as um, the marine kind of sector transitions into those renewable um, kind of energy solutions, what do you know, like these, these turbines go in places where the wind blows, right? And the, so there's, there's a lot of things like scour and, and that sort of thing around the, the bases of these um, turbines. And so as you get a lot of current, you look at things like scour and uh, how, how the interplay of the structure is with the seabed. Um, and I think when you're talking about wind farms being deployed in, you know, hundreds if not thousands of, of structures in one field, that's a great case for automation, um, so a, a drone system, you know, is the logical system that you would use to inspect it above water. It's the same sort of idea underwater as well. We want to have this system deployed and doing those highly kind of uh, automated uh, tasks to go from one turbine to the other as well. Your website makes a point of emphasizing the size of the Hydrus product, noting that it's, uh, it's small enough to serve as a carry-on item on uh, most planes. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Does the size make it more accessible to more researchers and companies, or does it allow the vehicle to do more dynamic things? Or I guess we're getting into smaller places under the water. Or what's the I guess what's the advantage of the size? Yeah, so I think um, this is basically an exercise in building the the smallest possible AUV that you can have while maintaining six degrees of freedom of motion, um, as well as this very high level of um, like uh, positioning and navigation system on there as well. Uh, but the the small size basically means. Um, it's very easy to deploy from, from small boats. So uh, anyone who's worked in the industry um, offshore will know the biggest cost in terms of an operational cost, you know, for the whole project is going to be the day rate on the vessel, you know. So as soon as you start having a large uh, robotic system that you need cranes and winches and all sorts of things to deploy and recover, uh, the project cost really can, uh, you know, the day rate really gets uh, quite large. So if you can just reduce that by, by small percentages, um, the overall savings uh, are really big for the customer. Um, and by lowering that price, uh, we make that accessible to people who wouldn't necessarily be able to go out there or people who will only be able to go once a year. So if we're talking about researchers or, or people in the commercial space doing asset inspection, instead of doing things annually, maybe they can do them every six months or every month or, or, or whatever um, by having this small thing. Um, it also means that you can be very reactive. Um, so I've personally taken Hydrus on a plane. Uh, we had a call from someone in northern Australia, put it in the plane, jumped on and flew up to the site, went out that day, got the data that was needed, offloaded it, and I was back on the plane and back home that night. You know, So that's something that most robotic systems that work underwater, you would just not be able to even think about doing that with. Do you think that for this kind of thing that the price could eventually come down low enough that you know hobbyists would be using underwater drones and that kind of thing? Or... Uh, th this version probably uh, is, is still more focused on the, the research and the commercial side of things. But um, like any kind of technology, there are there are trends um, that you will see where prices will eventually uh, lower. Um, but probably this version is really aimed at um, the, the more um, industrial and research side of things. Um, so, you know, the Blue Economy podcast is, I would say, a fairly niche show. Um, so, which is to say that it's kind of safe to assume that our listeners have a pretty good baseline of knowledge when it comes to blue tech. Um, so with that in mind, can we talk a little bit about the technology that you'd find if you opened up one of these vehicles? You know, what, I guess what, what all is in there and I, what are some of the different ways that it can be customized? Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so I guess I'll start off by talking about the domain kind of payload, so where the customer will be getting data that they would be using, and, and that comes down to the camera system. So we have a 4K 60 frames per second camera on there that can shoot uh, still imagery simultaneously. Um, and that system basically um, has been optimised for low light capability um, and for computer vision. So as, as people who have worked in subsea kind of photography or anything before will tell you, uh, one of the biggest challenges is actually illuminating the scene underwater. Um, you have all kinds of um, particles in the water that create backscatter uh, when you shine light on it. So as you get deeper and things get darker, it's not really a question of just shining as much light on there as possible. You really need to balance the whole system out. Uh, so the camera is very, very tightly integrated with our lighting system. Uh, so on board, we're running computer vision um, algorithms that will analyze the picture as it's coming in and balance the light to make sure that the, the subject that we're trying to actually capture uh, is always you know, illuminated well enough, but we're not blowing the whole scene out with backscatter um, from any particles that are in the water. Um, so that's the, that's the main kind of payload that you'll be uh, getting data from as a customer. Um, the other systems that are at the, the front of the vehicle uh, is the, the acoustic uh, transducers. Um, so this is something that we're, we're really proud of. We've developed this in-house over a while. Um, and these are the small blue pucks that you see around the front of the vehicle. Um, they operate at a two megahertz acoustic bandwidth, um, which is quite high compared to other acoustic systems. Um, and again, this is something that has been designed into the system. So uh, at a higher frequency, we get a finer resolution of data. Um, and it also is, is clear of uh, acoustic channels that marine mammals and things like that might be operating in. So it's inherently quite a safe system to use and won't be uh, disturbing the scene that you're in. Um, and what we do with those signals is basically we send uh, acoustic beams out at the front of the vehicle uh, with signals modulated onto them. And from those signals, we can uh, get the echoes back and determine the Doppler shift in them uh, and actually uh, calculate the velocity of the vehicle as it tracks over ground. Uh, the same way that like ground tracking radar might work on a plane. Um, but the cool thing about actually building this system from scratch ourselves is that we can build something once and use it many times. So the acoustic data that we're actually using there uh, is not just used for the positioning and navigation from the Doppler side of things. Uh, we're also using it to control the distance from the, the camera to the subject. So we're, we can take very consistent imagery. So as a, as a researcher, you know, you might want the photos to be one metre from the subject every single time. And this acoustic system will put the vehicle in that same position every time. Uh, it also operates as like a um, obstacle avoidance system as it, as it goes along as well. So the vehicle will be able to track uh, the ground underneath it and be perpendicular and, and, and move along uh, and not, not crash into anything as it goes. Uh, so that's kind of the, uh, the payload end of the vehicle. Um, inside there, uh, behind the camera system, we also have the inertial navigation system. Uh, so this is sort of part of the core IP and the core technology uh, that advanced navigation are known for. Um, so this has one of our AI-enhanced uh, INS systems, and that fuses the data that's coming in from uh, all of the different positioning systems that we have. So that's measuring uh, pitch and roll and accelerations of the vehicle. It's getting the Doppler uh, velocities that are coming in as well, and the, um, uh, the positioning system from the acoustic um, USBL at the other end of the vehicle as well, um, along with things like the pressure sensors uh, and things like that. Um, as we move sort of further back along the vehicle, the next thing that uh, we have is the, the thruster system. Um, and that's a system that we really spend a lot of time uh, and effort to produce something that we think is really class leading. Um, 
a lot of a lot of ROVs and that sort of thing, it's it's very common that the, the point of failure on the vehicles will be the thrusters, whether that's from entanglement or just from uh, failure of the systems due to water ingress. Um, we've managed to come up with a system that is totally sealed from the body. Uh, so there's there's no chance of water ingress there. Um, we just have the blades, which are uh, impellers uh, with, with no actual hub on them uh, that, that spin on the outside of the body with a thruster guard that sort of holds them up onto the body there. Um, and what this means is we can get really close to things like uh, seaweed or kelp, and there's a very, very, very low chance of entanglement because there's no central point for them to actually get wrapped on. Um, so again, that's kind of the design of the vehicle, that philosophy. We want to interact as little as possible with the actual environment that we're trying to photograph or record imagery of. Um, the other thing that you can do with those uh, thrusters is they're kind of like a drone, uh, like this drone philosophy that, that comes through again. Um, they're treated almost as the only part that the user would actually service. You know, uh, with other AUVs and large systems, you, you might have to pull the whole system to bits and you know swap out batteries and hard drives or service things. Um, with this system, you want to treat it more like your, your aerial drone, where the only part that the user would ever change is really just putting new blades on as you go, you know, as, as they get older. So uh, that's basically the, the thruster module there. Um, and it, so the other other parts, oh, yeah, go ahead. No, well, so in terms of the navigation, is someone controlling it from, the, like, what does the system look like on the boat? Obviously, there's, like, video, but, it, like, what, what, what does the navigation look like in 3D? Yeah, so... Um, when you want this vehicle to go and, and do something, it's it's really got like a Google Earth style interface uh, where basically the user can define an area uh, and that can be quite a simple kind of mission that you would plan for it where you can define a polygon and you can tell it go and, go and map this area or you can get into much more kind of complex 3D geometry where you're telling, you know, spiral around uh, structures and, and things like that and capture more kind of complex missions. Um, so the user will define that mission for the vehicle upload it into the vehicle, uh, and then you will deploy it over the side of the boat. Uh, oh, so, you're, so, you're, so you're not sort of controlling it in real time? It, it, you just like the, the, it. No, that's right. So uh, on the top side, we have a, a USB-L and acoustic modem system that can track it, and you can send it commands, um, and you get data up over that acoustic link, but the vehicle is actually steering itself and making those decisions as to where it needs to map. Is it getting enough overlap of data? Uh, is the data of a sufficient quality, um, and then you can let it let it go and uh, capture the imagery itself. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, that's a bit of a change to uh, you know what you would expect from an ROV, remotely operated vehicle. Um, this is something. Yeah. Again, we want this to be as simple as possible for the user. So we let the robot do the heavy lifting in terms of determining exactly how it goes and does these kind of things. Um, it will adapt to the environment around it. And it will constantly adapt the mission that it's performing to to get the data that you need. Wow! Cool. Well, you know, blue tech, the blue tech industry, I guess, is evolving really quickly these days, um, and there's growing interest in both from both industry and from investors. Um, and do you think this evolution is changing any of the dynamics in your business? Are things like, I guess, uh, modern rapid pro prototyping or tech miniatures miniaturization? Um, reducing R and D and manufacturing costs, or like, is it is it easier to get products to the market in the in kind of the current environment? I think in the current environment, what uh, what advanced navigation has done with this product has really taken on that philosophy of vertical integration, which you're seeing as a, as a bit of a trend. Um, what that means is uh, the vehicle is developed within you know the, the company, and every single component is actually designed and manufactured in house. Um, and that gives us, you know, a couple of benefits, one of which is that every system on board is kind of optimized to be the right size, power, weight, 
everything that you would need. You know, you're not wasting power, you know, on something that's too big or heavy. Um, and so you, you get a system that is, you know, perfectly adapted to each other, each of the other uh, systems on board. Um, the other benefit is by building them all in-house, we have total control over that kind of manufacturing process. So um, part of what we want to do with Hydrus by making this data accessible to other users, uh, all users, uh, is, is reducing the price of it. So you, you can only really do that by having that vertical integration of a system and being able to build these components in, in one kind of complete manufacturing process um, that we can automate and actually bring that price point down. Cool. Uh, well, so uh, advanced navigation, I, I think on your site, it says it prides itself on breaking down traditional barriers associated with the collection of underwater data. Um, we've had a number of other guests on the podcast who have emphasized the importance of kind of the democratization of data. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and kind of the value of making this kind of data more accessible? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's one of the core drivers of this product is that democratization of data. Um, as, as, you, as I said earlier, you know, we've positioned ourselves in the market to be across all kinds of robotic systems and unmanned platforms. And uh, what we see is there's, there's this real need for users who want to make things easier and cheaper to collect data. Um, so when we were designing the system, the people that we had in mind were people who, you know, can only get data once a year. You know, they have to apply for grants or they have to do things like that. Um, and those are the researchers that I think will make a real difference in the actual blue economy. Um, but it's not only those researchers. It could be people who want to have a startup, you know, in the blue economy, looking at things like aquaculture or um, doing other kinds of, uh, you know, um, business activities where they require this underwater information that could be looking at, you know, um, engineering things or making digital twins of uh, assets underwater. Um, and they're really struggling to get that data because of the, you know, the challenges that are involved without having GPS without having radio waves and easy power solutions underwater. Um, so the system has been inherently designed to lower those thresholds uh, and make this make a system that anyone can actually use. A previous guest, I think, once told me that the number one thing that an AUV maker needs to do is to not lose the AUV. So are, are there lots of systems uh, kind of to, to be able to find it if, if for whatever reason it's like goes into the wrong place? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're correct. Um, having having used uh, AUVs, you know, throughout my career, I can tell you it's always a bit of a nervous time when you put your robot over the side of it and you have to really trust in the system that it's going to come back. Um, so on board, yeah, we have uh, a multitude of systems. So primarily, we have the acoustic uh, modem uh, and, and acoustic positioning system. So we're tracking it from the boat uh, when it's working in deeper deeper water um, depths. Um, but it, it also, you know, is, is constantly checking its own system. Um, I think the benefit of having such a high-grade navigation system on a small vehicle like this is that it knows where it is. It can be tracking the battery system. It knows if it's fighting strong currents and uh, if it's going to complete the mission and it can basically um, take, get itself out of trouble, um, you know, having six degrees of freedom of manoeuvrability as well as sonar all around it. You know, it's got a very good idea of the world around it. And if it needs to, it can, it can come back. Um, it even has a GPS built into the system, so it can it can stick its uh, GPS antenna out of the water, get a fix, acoustically transmit that back to the boat, um, and and let the users know where it is. Um, so, yeah, um, we we haven't lost any yet. 
Great. What, how, how deep can they go? Or is, it, is there like a sort of pressure limit or something like that? So, uh, yeah, I mean, as, as I'm sure um, anyone who's worked offshore will know, pressure is, is one of the most challenging things to solve when making a vehicle like this. So we have three different uh, pressure uh, variants of the vehicle. So we have a 300 metre rated unit for things you know, that are in the sort of shallower range. Uh, we have a 1,000 metre rated unit and then a 3,000 metre rated unit, which is nearly 10,000 feet, yeah. uh, which is, yeah, that's quite an engineering challenge to get something to, to work at those kind of depths. Um, so, I mean, when we're doing things like that, um, we, you're looking at very high performance uh, buoyancy on board and pressure sensors and, and things like that. Um, so, we, we've operated them out to multiple kilometres uh, of depth off Western Australia here um, and ca- captured some really interesting data once you actually get down to those depths. Cool. Well, so we're just about out of time, but, you know, looking around kind of the blue tech industry, what what, do you, what are you personally most excited about? You know, this product aside, um, what, what are you most excited about these days? Yeah, I think um, one of the trends that I'm seeing at the moment is by having, you know, multiple kind of avenues for collecting underwater data, this um, it's raising awareness of some of the challenges that are actually facing us, you know. Um, so, I mean, you know, speaking from an Australian perspective here, uh, Australia is an island nation. Uh, we're very reliant on the oceans uh, for everything that we do, imports, exports, lifestyle, recreation. Um, and we have such incredible natural assets like the Great Barrier Reef or the Ningaloo Reef uh, that are actually really threatened from things like coral bleaching or, or runoff from the land. Um, but it's very hard for people to actually engage with that unless they can see it and it's sort of tangible and you know they can get it in their minds that their actions are actually influencing these very complex sort of biospheres and environments. Uh, so having you know underwater technology, hydras being a great example of that, um, to actually go and capture this data as you know and translate and and really demonstrate to the public uh, what's going on. Uh, around these natural environments and how that will carry through. So, you know, healthy reefs mean good fisheries and, you know, sustainable um, environments for fishing and jobs and everything else. Like it's, it's painting that picture of the interconnectedness of these complex environments uh, that having having drone systems like Hydrus will, will help us with. Actually, I have, I have one more question too. So does Hydrus... Um interact with sea life at all like do like to would a shark i mean a shark sees a drone like what does it what does a shark do yeah so uh typically sharks might interact with, with larger systems um particularly if they're painted certain colors or they're putting out you know electrical signals and, and things like that um hydrus has been you know inherently designed to uh, minimize its footprint in the environment um so we, uh, we haven't seen any interaction <laughs> from anything like that yet. We've had a few uh, large fish, you know, around uh, reef structures and jetties uh, come and take a look, but they're not, they're not too interested. Um, <laughs> we haven't had too much interaction. Cool. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate having you on the show. No worries. Thank you very much, David. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Blue Economy Podcast presented by Rhode Island, the Ocean State. And thanks again to Peter from Advanced Navigation for joining us. If you want to learn more about us, catch up on past episodes or shoot us a note in the comments. Head to www.blueeconomypodcast.com or look us up on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. From beautiful Providence, Rhode Island, I'm your host, David Hirschman. Thanks for listening.